Why on earth did they didn't use names like Bob and Joe in the Old Testament? Um, today, we get to celebrate the, this beautiful celebration, this beautiful uh, liturgical feast of the Nativity of Christmas. And as we do, um, as you heard in the Gospel, uh, the, the church gives us a different option to, to be able to cut it short or to go long, and it's basically the bane of existence every year for a priest or for a deacon or anybody else uh, to have to read the genealogy because there's a guarantee we're going to mess up. Um, I promise you it's a good dose of humility every single year for the priest. It's just to struggle through those names because they're so normal. Um, I'll be honest, uh, just, just a note, <laughs> and anybody, uh, Zach, for seminary, like just anybody ever that gets stuck reading that in public, you're supposed to say the names as if you know them and just say it the same way both times. Uh, I broke the cardinal rules. So everybody laughs and is like, Father don't know what he's doing. Nope, not at all. But why on earth? So first, the, 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 today as we come to celebrate this feast, we all know the Christmas story. Right? We all know what the nativity looks like. we got shepherds. we got kings that are on their way. Mary and Joseph. There was no room in the inn. They end up in a, in a barn. They don't have a crib, so they use a feeding trough. Right? We all kind of know the Christmas story. We've seen it. We've been raised in the Catholic and in a Christian kind of world, so we get it. Now why on earth, though, when we got the Christmas story so clearly and so easily laid out in the Scriptures, why on earth do we start with a genealogy? Like it's, like, it's literally like reading the phone book of the Old Testament. There's no reason, rhyme or reason, that we would start with that, especially if we're trying to start with a hook. We're trying to start with something that people get kind of engaged with and excited about, right? I think, I think for me, every time I read the genealogy, it gives me hope. As, a, as we said, like Christmas, uh, some people tonight might be going and, and doing some Christmas Eve family stuff. And if you are, enjoy it. Have a good, safe time with everybody. Some people, uh, it, might, it might be tomorrow morning. I, I guarantee you, if you're of a certain age bracket, I know our kids are sitting around thinking, Father, be quiet. I got presents to open. Amen? Uh-huh. They're like, yeah, yeah, I'm fired up. Uh, or they're sleeping. But it's okay. It's all good, right? <laughs> So, right now, like, why on earth would we start with a genealogy, though? We're going to be spending a lot of time, i got a feeling, I know I will be, the next two days, I'm going to be spending a lot of time with family. And when I go to my family, uh, I, I mentioned this in my homily this past weekend, but whenever I go to my family, uh, our family doesn't look like the Hallmark movie family at all. And if you know my family, you're like, nope, not at all. Looks a lot more like the Osbournes, a lot less like Hallmark movies, right? Kind of sounds like that too, just a censor button over and over. Um, but that's just what my family is like. We're not perfect. By no stretch of the imagination is my family perfect. And I got a feeling that if we're really honest with ourselves, that none of our families are what we would call perfect. Right? We, we, we may take the pictures that are going to look perfect this week, we may have some good conversation that might look perfect and sound perfect. We may share memories and stories with each other that seem perfect, but there's a good chance that this week, this next two days, we're going to come face to face with some family that's not very perfect. 
we look at Jesus' genealogy, Jesus' family tree, the line in which Jesus was born out of, there's a lot of characters in that that are not perfect. A couple of them just to, to focus on. Two of them um, had very, very creative ways of making money at night. Two women. Say it that way for our young ears. Two of them. In his genealogy, his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother, that's their life. One of them was a, was a king who literally was so bad that he divided the nation of Israel in half. David, everybody, we hear about King David in the Old Testament, and he was this big figure who, who helped build, the, who helped plan and to build the, the temple of the, he was, like a, he was like a rock star for the Jews. David committed adultery with a woman, had a son, and then had the woman's husband killed. Needless to say, Jesus' family wasn't perfect. Jesus' family might look a little bit more like our family than we want to believe. Or we want to admit to. See, when Jesus comes into the world, he's coming even into a family that's not perfect. He comes into a world that's not perfect. He comes to meet us in our imperfection tonight. He comes to meet us in our imperfection tonight. God meets us even though we're not, we're not perfect. That should give us hope, y'all. That should be something that really gets us inspired, gets us excited. As I said, if we look at the, if we look at the manger scene, there are three things I want to focus on about the manger scene for us. The first, who was it that was his first guest? The second, where is it that he's born? And third, what does his bed look like? The first one, who was his first guest? Well, we read in the Scripture, the first people that recognized Jesus' coming, the first people that, that came to see the new King of Israel, God made man, were shepherds. Now, shepherds had been working out in a field, and it didn't take a rocket scientist to be a shepherd. So you have stinking, tired, dumb shepherds are the first people to come see the new king. Where was he born? We say the word stable, and, and we say the word stable, and we make it sound like it's really pretty. It was actually a. This stable was a cave that was out on, the, uh, out on the outskirts of Bethlehem. But he's born in a barn. Now, I don't know if I have any farmers that are here or people that have been around farming at any point in their life or livestock or something like that. Um, growing up, my family would raise sheep and I remember going out with my grandpa and we would, we would go feed the sheep and you know, make sure we take care of everything, make sure all the pens were working and everything was all right. When you walk through a barn, it stinks. Because animals are animals, and you do animal things in barns where animals live, right? So a barn, if you didn't know, stinks. And that's where the Son of God comes into the world. Thirdly, Jesus is born. They need a place to put him. So what do they do? They wrap him in swaddling clothing, 
and they put him in a manger. A manger is a very nice way to say a feeding trough. They grab some hay, they throw it down just to kind of soften the blow and just leave him in a feeding trough. They had to be a little bit resourceful, but that's what they did. Jesus didn't have a, didn't have a perfect crib to be born into. He didn't have a palace that the king of God, the, 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 the son of God, the king of the universe, the new, the new king of Israel should have had. And it wasn't dignitaries that were coming to his coming to this scene. It was stinky, dumb shepherds. Why do I say this? Why, why, is, it that, why is it that when we look at a... There's something different, though, because when we look at a, a nativity, some of them are beautiful. Some of them are done up great. Like today, we got a beautiful scene of the first Christmas right here with us. It's because God... When God works, when God comes into the world, right? When He comes into our lives, He doesn't need the perfect thing. You see, there were probably a lot of perfect cribs and a lot of perfect palaces. And there was a lot of perfect people for, to come and see the first king. But instead, God can do a lot more with something that's available than something that is perfect. Let me say that again. God can do a lot more with something that is available than with something that is perfect. The crib that Jesus has isn't the pottery barn crib. It's a manger and a barn. The barn isn't a palace. It's a barn, right? The people to come and see Him were not dignitaries or rulers or kings. They were shepherds. See, for each one of us, as we come, this is a message of hope for us. Because when we come to Christmas, a lot of times we can feel like, man, i got to be perfect to show up in the church. i got to be perfect to come and receive God. I have to be perfect before God would ever want anything to do with me. Don't raise your hand, but if I'm speaking to your heart, then listen. Because the Christmas message for us is that God can do a lot more with someone that's available than with someone who is perfect. God can do a whole lot more with a family line that's available with people like Joseph and Mary who are waiting for the coming Messiah with everything in them. More so than some kind of kingly line that an inheritance to a throne or something. God can do a lot more with someone who's available than with someone who is perfect. So for each of us today, as we come to celebrate Christmas, as we come to receive God, as we come to receive God into our lives, to receive God into our bodies in the Eucharist, the question I have, are you available? Are you available to our Lord? Do we make space and time for Him in our life? Or do we look pretty on the outside? Like a palace. But we're full. Our time is full. Our, 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 our interests are full. And there's no space for the Lord with us. See, Advent 
this, this last four weeks as we've been approaching Christmas has all been about making space for our Lord to dwell with us. Has been all about making space, opening our hearts so that God can dwell with us, that we can receive the gift that God has for us today. Maybe, maybe the last four weeks has been the best four weeks of your life, and man, I, I, Lord, I am ready to stand before you and say, Lord, please come, and I, wanna, I want you to rock my life, to change me, to refocus me on you above all else. Amen. If that's not you, it's okay. Because like I said, God can do a lot more with someone who's available than with someone who's perfect. How can I, if I'm not perfect, Lord, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'll fall short. How can I, Lord, make more space in my life for you? How can I carve out time to give back to you, God? How can I focus, refocus my prayer, refocus my week, whatever it is, to include you and to incorporate you into my life? That's how we make ourselves available. We have to clear time, clear space, and allow the Lord to dwell. God can do a lot more with an available crib, with an available manger, than with a perfect crib. Or with an available stable, than a perfect palace. Or an available group of people who want to witness Him, than with someone who's too busy. May this Christmas season, this day, be the first day in which we decide, we make a promise, Lord, I want to incorporate you more into my life. I want you to be a bigger part of my life. Despite my family, despite my sin, despite my shortcomings, despite the stuff that's going on in my life, despite the fear that I have, despite the struggles that happen, despite the tension that we have in my life, despite the ways in which you know, I'm pulled here and there for somebody that's sick or for children or whatever else, Lord, I want You to be a part of my life. That's what this Christmas mystery is about. God steps down from heaven to meet us in our mess. In our imperfection. And in a little while, He's going to do it again on the altar. And He steps down to meet each one of us in the body of Christ. Amen.